the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to On the Record with Tiffany. There are heroes throughout San Antonio, men and women that go the extra mile to make lives better. During the next hour, you'll be inspired as we introduce you to these unsung heroes. And now here's your host, Tiffany Jones-Smith. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany. And my special guest, Laura Thompson, the fierce, the feisty, the magnificent Laura Thompson, creator of TAN TV, the African-American Network, where we have a local feel with a global reach. With a global reach. Yes. And it's, you added an M, it's fierce, feisty, fabulous, friendly, phenomenal. Okay. Sorry. Phenomenal. <laughs> Phenomenal, Laura Thompson. Um, I, you know, I love having you. Apparently, yes. Be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> now, see what I have to put up with? This is what, what uh, dealing with these network heads, <laughs> leaders of, of uh, major networks, happens to uh yield you right <laughs> uh, i think it's just in my in my jeans <laughs> <laughs> running things and making things uh making the world a better place so laura what are you doing now that is changing the world i heard a little birdie told me you're doing some some new stuff mm, well okay we're just re we've been doing this for uh, um, on this, on our current platform for a couple of years, and so we're um, just doing fine tuning mm-hmm. and and kind of putting processes in place to make all this money that we're getting ready to make. <laughs> <laughs> and this is on the African American Network. Network Television. Yeah, where we have a local feel. With, with a, a global, global reach. reach. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? But um, uh, one of the things that the, our very first project was 300 Voices in 300 Days. Mm-hmm. And that was a project to incorporate the African-American voice into the tricentennial celebration for San Antonio, which mm-hmm. happened uh, a few years ago. So San Antonio celebrated 300 years Wow. Of existence. So that's pretty cool, right? So I knew that, you know, African Americans were uh, a part of San Antonio back during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, throughout the, the history of San Antonio, African Americans have made, you know, significant contributions. And yes. so I wanted to ensure that African Americans had a voice during that time. So we, uh, Set a date. It, it, we we interviewed uh, close to three hundred people uh, in about six months. Wow! So, we so inter- how did you pick the people that you were interviewing? Um, I know some of them. Some were recommendations. You know, I, I like to pick the people because I pick people that I know work mm-hmm. and that have made contributions. And I know that some people have made contributions, and, and nobody would ever pick them. Mm-hmm. And so contributions um, nobody really knows about, right? Or they they may know about them, but they just may not be think that they're. Uh, I won't say worthy, but they might not think that they're in a certain class of people in order mm-hmm. to get that recognition. And so, we interview people from all you know all walks of life, all the way from the CEO of CPS Energy to uh, the the second. African American to graduate from St. Mary's University Law School, uh, and he was the first municipal judge uh, in San Antonio. Uh, and he's he just passed away a, a couple of years ago, but you know people like that. Wow! And, so, and also people that have been incarcerated 
gotten out and have become successful. So just just we just ran the gamut of people in San Antonio that are African American that were making significant contributions. I love the fact that you looked across the spectrum at people and didn't just stick with the elite or the the person that that's made all the newspapers or mm-hmm. you you went all through SA and and found different levels of of contribution. Right. Well, you know, we've created these titles for mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so some elite means that you're a certain in a certain class or inner city, you know, dictates that you're in a certain class. But I just look at people as people, you know, all people are capable of doing great things. So, you know, when I think about about uh, myself, I fall into both of those inner city and elite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like there are some people that would say. The elite part, and then I, when I think of me, I think of the inner city part, the girl that grew up right, right down from the project. That's the part I always think of, right. you know. So, you know, I, I'm big on not putting a label on people because you don't know, you don't know somebody else's story. Right. I mean, everybody has a story; they just mm-hmm. don't tell it. So, That's right. You know, it, it, or it's just it just hasn't you been ex- it you just hasn't been exposed. Everybody has a. Um, a story that they're proud of and they may have stories that they're not so proud of but you know sometimes people forget as they you know level up they they forget and so i don't That's and i remind nice i remind people um that everybody has contributions to make um mm-hmm. and they do they mm-hmm. have them and they do so what was your most memorable, what were your top three most memorable stories that you thought, wow, I didn't even, you know, I didn't know there was so much to this story? Mm, there was a guy that, that um, he went to prison as a, at a young age, mm-hmm. um, got out, you know, turned his life around, and he, now he's working with the FBI, as a matter of fact, he's, he's wow. working with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. He he got a really uh, high-level position with them. Wow. And so, uh, you know, and he's just, uh, just the nicest guy, personable. And, and, and I think that's what happens to uh, some of our African-American men. They're very personable, very handsome, mm-hmm. you know, very charming. And so they get scooped up, um, you know, by uh, people that use their talents and they're not necessarily for the good. So they end up, mm-hmm. you know, getting in trouble and getting incarcerated. Uh, but if they come out uh, and they, they make a decision that they're going to go and take a different path, you know, they can be very successful. And this, this, that story, I didn't know I knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't know he had been a cause. I just, you know, he was just a cool person. So I just, right. I knew him I didn't know he had been incarcerated, so I learned that. And then later on, after the interview, um, he uh, was in the newspaper where he had gotten um, this position with the FBI. Wow. So that's pretty ironic. I think that's a, an incredible story because mm-hmm. it tell it one, it's it's a hopeful story. Like you can, at any point in your life, you can turn your life around. Mm-hmm. And then another one, you said three, so I'm going to try to think mm-hmm. of three. So <laughs> the other one was uh, Clarence McGowan. He was the first um, African-American municipal judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the second to graduate from St. Mary's University. Prior to that, he worked, uh, he was a, a, a teacher at Wheatley High School, which was uh, predominantly African-American mm-hmm. back during his time. And so... He he decided to go to law school because he said he could help people, his people better, mm-hmm. you know, if he was an attorney. The other thing about him is that he he owned a lot of the property uh, on the east side. He was the first African-American to be allowed to buy property on the east side in San Antonio. Because uh, mm-hmm. they had a law that says that, that we couldn't, we buy, couldn't property. buy property. 
And so there was a, a an, an Anglo guy that, that helped him to get this property. He said, they're not going to let me buy property. And he said, yeah, they are. And so he, he owned the property where the HEB grocery store is on Houston Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, he owned all of that, a lot of the property on the Brownsville's um, where there's, you know, businesses and business, business, um, business parks. So I, I didn't know that about him. I knew that he was an attorney and I knew right. that he was a judge, but I didn't, I didn't know that his story behind why he became a judge and all that stuff. And he changed the, changed the game for black changed. people and owning property. Mm-hmm. And then he, he uh, won cases where they wouldn't allow African-Americans to buy property. And, you know, with just one little, I forgot what the 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 clause was, but it was just one little thing that... He got changed. That, that, no, he, he it was one little thing that helped him to win the case. Wow. And so um, he won that case. And so when you win those cases, of course, they go down... You know, people can look back at him and say, okay, if they have a similar case, mm-hmm. you know, he won this case, you know, back in the day. So, so he, can he win said it again. that case law mm-hmm. for for what was to come and people build on it, even people built on it from there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the, the other one uh, was uh, uh, Paula Gold Williams. Mm-hmm. The, C, the CEO, or the, she's about to be the former CEO of, of CPS Energy, but she grew up on the east side. Um, her mother was best friends with my aunt. They lived next door to each other. Uh, I didn't know that. I was like, why is she always waving and, like, and <laughs> talking to me like she knows me? <laughs> well, but, that's why. <laughs> but... But you know, she she went through the ranks at at, at CPS Energy when it was City Public Service. Mm-hmm. And she went through the ranks and and moved up to uh, CEO, which I think is a, a phenomenal accomplishment. Yes. So you know, those are some of the, the three of the stories that that kind of stand out. Um, several people have passed away since we we did the book. Uh, I'll. Allison Rance, he he was an NFL player, mm-hmm. uh, and he was president of the Retired NFL Association, something like that. I forgot mm-hmm. the name of the organization, but he we interviewed him, and two weeks later he passed away. He was supposed to have a heart transplant, uh, and it went bad, oh. and so he passed away uh, uh, in the operating room. So, but people like that, like Spot Barnett. This is I can just go on and on. Spot Barnett passed away, but but you know he he was a jazz saxophonist. Uh, never really reached the 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 prominence or the, the the ranks that he should have or could have, you know. But he he played with people like Count Basie and you know wow. uh, Etta James, you know some of the the blues greats. Um, and right and here right in here San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like you're, you've been keeping up with San Antonio history before we even had a SACAM to keep up with San Antonio history. Yeah, I, well, I'm one of the reasons why you know they can a, a museum can be in existence because mm-hmm. that history has already been captured and you know it just it just and, donated. Well, I, I bequested uh, a lot of stuff to to SACAM. Three Hundred Voices is just one of the projects. So what else have you given to say, Ken? It's 300 voices. Like, if, 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 you know, the thing, the reason why I'm always dragging you back up here to, uh, on the record with Tiffany <laughs> is because, to put it on the record. Is yeah. because you've done so many, um, historic things here in, in San, in San Antonio. Just one of those things, like 300 voices recording that would be a lifetime achievement for just about anybody else's mm-hmm. career. And that's like one of 60 things you've done. People at the like TV stations and stuff, they was like, wow, we couldn't do 300 in 
three or four years. Yeah, mm-hmm. you could. Yeah, you could. You just have to schedule them, get the people to interview them. And we had different people um, that volunteered to interview them for the project. We um, we did our first three or four. Uh, we tried to do them ourselves. And a a uh, production team came in and, and uh, offered us a good deal. And so they did all of them. And we did, you know, uh, as many as 20 uh, every Saturday. We would do, like, maybe 12 to 20 people every Saturday. And so we had a full house every Saturday. We, we fed everyone. We, um, you know, everybody waited. You know, and they networked, networked and had an opportunity to, to meet each other and, and hear each other's stories. So it was just a, a really exciting time. And that was our fa- first major project. Well, the first project period for TAN TV. Wow. So you had all of these, this diverse group of people mm-hmm. with amazing <clears throat> accomplishments. And they all checked their egos or whatever at the door and networked mm-hmm. and waited so that they could record our history here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's that's pretty cool. So it's, it was it's that's it's been an exciting run. That's that's one of the 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 projects that um, I worked on. I'm always thinking of these projects and say, what was I thinking? <laughs> but for I think it was eight or nine years, I did a, 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 a MLK and Black History Month uh, campaign where. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a hundred billboards scattered across the the city uh, doing ML to promote MLK and his accomplishments, and then uh, different Black History events or organizations uh, in February. So from January to February, uh, we had a hundred billboards all over the city. Wow! And that hadn't been done. Nobody mm-hmm. had done a hundred mm-hmm. billboards. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, <laughs> I've. You know, work with agencies, and they say, "Heck, we haven't done that many." But I've, I, altogether, it was, it was about maybe seven or eight hundred billboards over those years. And that has to have something to do with the reason why we have one of the largest. We have the largest uh, MLK wall. No, that that happened before then. I just kind of thought that it should we be. should have some kind of, you know, big splash. Um, where it's publicized. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 the billboard campaign talked about the history, like uh, Reverend R.A. Callis started the march uh, with his family, mm-hmm. and then the, the city started the commission. So the, the march itself is actually uh, more than 35 years, but the San Antonio Martin Luther King Commission had has run it for 35 years, so that's why it's the 35th anniversary. Mm-hmm. But it's been over 50 years. Wow. And San Antonio has has held a prominent position in, in the African-American experience in the United States. And you, we talked about it with uh, SACAM a little bit, but the fact that you're archiving it, that you have done that digitally, so now... Uh, as SACAM gets this together, gets 300 voices together, we're going to be able to see into perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Well, they're getting 300 voices together. They're getting the who's who uh, in black San Antonio. I brought that to San Antonio. Uh, fought tooth and nail. <laughs> I always had to fight. You know, they, they, they look at San Antonio as not a market where African-Americans reside. Um, and so I have to to tell them that even if it's you know a hundred thousand people is a significant number of amount people. of people. There yeah. are cities that don't have a hundred thousand people in them. So you know I have to remind them that because they, they even sent even with the Who's Who book, people in San Antonio said that'll never happen. And it did. And I said it is. <laughs> it is going to happen. Y'all might not participate in it. (laughs) So some of them came to the first unveiling of the Who's Who book, and they were like, 
God darn it, my letter's still on my desk. And I said, well, maybe you can catch us next time. But the Who's Who was incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. Like that was... You know, people want me to bring that back. They want me mm-hmm. to bring Sisters in Business back. Yes. <laughs> I talked to you about well, bringing can Sisters in Business back a few minutes ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sisters in Business had a 10-year run. Um, you know, we brought in a lot of national speakers. We would bring in... We had a what we call the Power Sisters Speaking Series. And mm-hmm. we would have three national speakers and one local speaker uh, four months in a row. So, and wow. they, you know, some of some people said that ain't, that'll never happen. It did. It's going to happen. <laughs> you know, you've been a force behind it. And you, I love the fact that you're always so chill and relaxed. But you're a force to be reckoned with. You've been a force behind making new things happen and innovations in the African-American community in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Well, Sisters in Business, well, we started that organization. Well, it, they didn't want to call it Sisters, <laughs> number one. A couple of people didn't want to call it Sisters. And then, why? you know, they didn't... Uh, I did things when it wasn't popular to do things for right. uh, African-Americans. Even with my agency, I said my name is uh, Laura Thompson. With Laura Thompson Agency, my primary focus is the African-American market. And I say that everywhere. Mm-hmm. And people were like, Ugh, you shouldn't say that. Yeah, yeah, I should. <laughs> I'm going to say I it. just said it already. <laughs> I can't take it. I'm not taking it back. <laughs> So I mean it's 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 fun to look back at all of this stuff because um, the archive is at at SACAM is just once he started looking at it he was like wow mm-hmm. wow and I I did too I'm like wow what like I have fifty five thousand files on my on an old hard drive fifty five thousand. And we've been going through it, and he said, what about this project? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> Some stuff I didn't even remember. But the, the, the bigger projects I do, I, I always wanted to do bigger projects mm-hmm. because uh, I didn't want people, number one, to, to duplicate it. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to have to fight to duplicate it. Mm-hmm. And then um, I saw other, you know, uh, Organizations and groups and ethnicities do large projects, and so mm-hmm. I said we can we can do large projects too. And so I think that it helped to expand the minds of the people that were involved in those projects to see that those things are possible. Because right now, um, there's a lot of you know African American organizations you know popping up. Mm-hmm. Even with Sisters in Business, there was a lady out of Austin, uh, Rose Smith, I think. Mm-hmm. She was saying, "I want to start a sisters in business in Austin," and uh, and I and I said, "Okay, we can do that." But then she ended up starting Black Women in Business, mm-hmm. and so I think that organization is about maybe eight or nine years old. When we were ending the when we, when we were doing the tenth year uh, celebration, she was starting Black Women in Business, and so. She was inspired by Sisters of Business. A bunch of people were, they called us from, from, you know, all across the country to see about setting up a chapter. But the board didn't have the vision, and they was like, we're not ready. I said, but, but they're ready. Mm-hmm. So. And that's you, always always a visionary, even when uh, others can't see. You know, the, the the only difficulty in being a visionary is that often... Uh, other people can't see what the next steps are. You can see it clearly, mm-hmm. and that's okay. It's, that ain't, that's not my problem. That's right. But they can't see it. That's right. <laughs> and we've been chatting with Laura Thompson, visionary, creator of Tan TV, where they have a where we have a local feel with a global reach, and. It's here on my home channel, 9.30 a.m., The Answer. 
Um, thank you, Laura, for talking with us. And we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about what's going on on TAN and what we're doing next. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation. And I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit, or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. And we're back with another episode of On the Record with Tiffany uh, here on 930 AM, The Answer. And also, we can be seen on TAN TV, where we have a local feel and a global reach. And I'm here with the creator of TAN TV, uh, Laura Thompson, and the visionary for everything African American, (laughs) or many things African American in this community and beyond. Laura, how are you doing today? I'm doing just great. You're looking great. You're looking great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I know you just recently lost your mom. And I just want to say I'm I'm sorry for your loss. She was a giant in this community. Yes, ma'am, she was. And your family is uh, respected and loved, and you are respected and loved by me and my family. So I just want to let you know that we're we're praying for you and we're with you every step of the way. Whatever you need, you got us. Okay, I whether wanna, you want us or not. I want a a, a brand new powder blue Bentley. <laughs> Well, now, I don't know about that girl. <laughs> uh, uh, I, maybe a black Bentley. No. <laughs> yeah, custom. <laughs> with the steering wheel on the right side instead of the left. How about that? Now, when I see you driving down the street in a powder blue Bentley, what am I supposed to do when that happens? <laughs> I don't know. Get in the back seat and I'll drive I'm going to be thumbing for a ride. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have that thumb out. <laughs> Then I'm going to tell you to switch seats and you drive and I ride. (laughs) I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about uh, you as a leader, because it's not an it's not an easy thing to decide that you want to do some of the things that you've done. You've you've run for office. You've. Uh, started a, a network. Like, how many people do either of those things or even have the agency to feel like they can? What is it about Laura Thompson that makes you tick? What what makes you just mm-hmm. go, okay, I'm going to do this, and then just... Because I've, I have personally watched you decide that you're going to run your network which you have been working on all this time. Put it together. Lay out a strategic plan. Put your partners together and in their particular positions in your strategic plan and execute around it, which is a very uh, cool thing to watch. Well, But no. most people don't think that way. Right. Well, number one, I don't. It's it's not hard for me to start. I just think of. I have so many ideas 
you know, written down that I haven't even, even done. I won't say I haven't thought about doing them, but I mm -hmm. haven't done. So it's it's not, it's never been hard for me to start or decide. Um, you know, once I make up, I, I don't know where the ideas come from. <laughs> they just pop in my head, and some of them I I do and act on, and some of them I don't. I don't. So, um, you know, I don't. I, you know, I don't really. You know, I may be leading somewhere, but I really don't think about being a, a leader necessarily. I just do what I do. You well, know, I, I do projects that that I want to do. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I ran for office uh, because that's something that it was a childhood dream. You know, I wanted to do it, and the, the time was right for me to jump in there and do it, and so I did it. So I don't really... I don't, I don't really hesitate if it's something that I really want to do. I don't really hesitate to to just do it. Like I said, I want to bring all these speakers in. And they were like, oh, Lord, there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about it is that you will take something from idea to benchmark. You will take it from, I, I'm thinking about this, and build an entire plan around it, execute, give everybody their parts in the plan, and you know what it's going to be, how it's going to be, and it's successful. Well, she makes it sound so smooth. It ain't necessarily that smooth. <laughs> but, but, I, but you you know, I do. I, I, I think it. Um, I plan it. Uh-huh. I mean, she does set goals incredible and then, stuff. then implement it. Uh, and she has this way with, you know, I, I read this years ago. A great leader isn't just leading. A great leader grows up other leaders. Well, you know, I just took a test. Um, I'm, I have an executive coach, and I just, uh, uh, Donna speaks, Dr. Donna speaks Armstrong. Everybody but, hear that name, Dr. Donna Speaks Armstrong, mm -hmm. because if you need somebody that's helping you, if this lady is using Donna Speaks Armstrong, mm -hmm. Dr. Donna Speaks Armstrong, then you might want to check her out. Yeah, but 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 she had me take these two tests, and, and I, I was considered a mentor. I mean, what type of leader? And it was a mentor leader. Um, and then it was another, they asked me what, I forgot the other one, but they said I was a meta something. It means uh, I have a, a unique style or innovative style of making things happen. That was those are both true. <laughs> and I tried hard, you know, I was like I was you know, the answers were kind of similar but not and I you know, you try hard to really pick the right one. Uh and then I would think, you know, it's not really going to tell me who I am, but it, it does. Mm -hmm. It does all the time. Well, I mean, the, those two things are, from my personal observations of you, that's true. Because uh, I've seen you uh, definitely men take a mentoring uh, position with me and with other people that that uh, need it. Mm -hmm. Well, my, my parents you know, and my People in the community always said I should be a teacher or a counselor, and I'm often a counselor. <laughs> yes, and a teacher, <laughs> and a teacher, well, a social worker. They told me that I would be a social worker or a teacher, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't want to well, do that. But I, on a larger scale, if you really look at, it, you know, looking back and looking at what I do, it is uh, some form of teaching and and some form of social work. I would say that that's true, but but not <laughs> not just having people come in and out of the door solving problems. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to hear that. But I would <laughs> say, you know, back on your on how innovative you've been and just coming up with an idea and working around it. A prime example of that is work is the new hustle. I mean, work is the new hustle. Like totally has captivated. So many people, everybody who hears it, uh, Constable Cat Brown, 
loves work is the new hustle. My two daughters, we listen to work is the new hustle going to school. We listen to it coming home from school. We listen to it at the house. (laughs) But the concept for the kids, like that. I've always worked with kids. I worked with kids um, since the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I've always done like citywide pep rallies, citywide youth forums, uh, role model luncheons. Just always come up with innovative ideas, read and lead program. I just come up with ideas to help draw our kids in. Uh, a lot of people say, well, how do you find all the kids? Well, do something that they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Do it in a way that will draw them in and attract them. Uh, you know, the the standard way because I didn't learn the standard way. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned a lot of things on my own. I, I, all of my books stayed in my locker from from the time I was assigned a locker, you know, so <laughs> I, I graduated from high school. I never took my books out of my locker. I would just study whatever the teacher said would be on the test or whatever they taught in class. I would memorize it, and that's how I learned. I could have been on the honor roll, but I wasn't. Because I didn't, I never studied. But I wasn't interested in the stuff that they were teaching me because I knew what I wanted to be, mm-hmm. and I didn't think those things would help me. And so I didn't really focus on them. I just kind of memorized what I needed to memorize to to pass the test. Not necessarily to make an A on the test, but just to pass. So you knew what you wanted to be. What did you want to be at that? I time? wanted to be in advertising. Um, I was a big billboard lover when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. I would ride around with the family, and I would talk about the billboards when they would be talking about family stuff. And they were like, mm-hmm. what, what is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, there was a, a little bit of uh, prophecy there on what, <laughs> what was going to happen with you next. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I just wanted to be a lot of stuff. And my mother mm-hmm. was just afraid. She would say, she's always saying she's going to do all these things. And I said, I am. I didn't say I was going to do them all at the same time, but I am going to do them. And so I've, I've had a lot of ideas that I do now that I've done since I was an adult that, you know, as a child, you know, I would watch TV or see something and I want to do it. Like when, when the Spurs first came to San Antonio, you know, I went, mm-hmm. they had a job opening where they needed people to sell the the advertising banners that go on courtside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I came in third. I didn't get the job. I was very upset about that because that was something that I was intrigued. I would watch sports and see the, the sponsors' banners and logos. And so, you know, that was I was uh, drawn to that as a just as a kid. And so you've been... You did go into advertising. Mm-hmm. I had a media and public relations firm for 16 years. So you were, you already knew from a little bitty girl that you were going to do this. You were just driven like that as a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to watch Bewitch, and that, they had, that was an advertising agency that they ran. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to have one of those. And I'm going to have ideas, but I'm going to be Larry Tate. I'm not going to be that <laughs> But I was going to be Darren, too, because Darren came up with all the good ideas. <laughs> well, Larry just stole all of Darren's ideas. Well, <laughs> I he, watched Bewitch, too. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't believe. He didn't. He never believed in Darren. He's, I'm, he said, I'm going to make you a partner. He's son of a gun and never did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Larry was, was uh, a, a little bit unsavory in that, <laughs> in that sense. Um, so... What is what are you going to be doing during Dream Week? Uh, we're going to have a mixer for um, 300 voices for individuals that were, well, anybody that wants to come, but um, people that were featured in, in uh, the 300 Voices uh, project. We're going to invite them back out. Uh, we're going to do some, some, like, history cards, Mm-hmm. For some of the people that were in the book, it'll have their, and probably the ones that have passed away, just mm-hmm. uh, the picture of them and then on the back, a few facts about them 
that we learned about him from the 300 Voices interviews. And are you going to do another run of the book uh, to sell at the... What, the Who's Who book? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, of, of the... Yes, of the Who's Who book. Are you going to do another run of that book? I hadn't planned on it. Well, I mean, if you're doing the cards, I just wondered if you you might do another run so that we could we could have the possibility. Well, the the three hundred voices was digital video. The right. Who's, the Who's Who books are print. So, so you're like, no, okay, I just want. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I just do projects and I kind of move on, do them and move on, do them and move on. Well, and I don't gonna... I don't go back like. With with sisters in business, you know that it was a ten year run, you know, and I don't go back, and that's that's really the longest project that I've ever done is besides my business, besides mm-hmm. Laura Thompson Agency, just particular projects. That's that's probably the longest I've ever done projects under one umbrella. What about your your other book that you wrote about yourself? I've written I've written two books. Um, one is on uh, on my way to the top. On my way to the top. That's the one <clears> I'm thinking of. And my first book was Beneath the Mask. It's a, a book of poetry because I'm a poet. Have you thought about those two books at your on at your uh, 300 voices? Mm-mm, I haven't. Please think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please think about that for those of us who are Laura Thompson fans. <laughs> well, I thought about re republishing them and re releasing yeah. them, but not necessarily there. But um, I thought well, think about, about republishing and re releasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what about another one? I'm gonna do a sequel to. Yeah. Uh, on my way to the top, because at the end I said I'm. A, I'm uh, I'm not finished yet. I'm still on my way to the top. Is the mm-hmm. ending sentence? So let's let's see uh, the next. Well, we'll see. We'll see. One. I don't know when that will happen. It's just I on my way to the top. I kind of wrote that, and it took me a while to write it because I would write as I experienced stuff or remembered mm-hmm. experiences. I would write them. Mm-hmm. Um. Beneath the mask, I did that in two weeks. But that was—that's your poetry, like you. But still, so, yeah. But still, it takes. Um, you know, I, it was just a I, lot. Of, I'm amazed that you did that in two weeks. Yeah, I used to, and I did it at night. You know, I, I I had my agency and I worked long hours, and I would do it at night before I went to sleep. Wow. So, that's. That in and of itself, you should do a um, a teaching series for for young poets <laughs> just on that. People are always giving me all this additional work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm giving her some more work. Yeah, <laughs> I'm giving her some more work, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, hey, you can't be a visionary and not expect people to <laughs> to want you to yeah. <laughs> do more of the, mm-hmm. more of the wonderful things that you're doing. Um, but poetry, I'm, I'm flattered though. But when you write stuff, uh, even posts, like I sit there reading some of your posts, and I'm like, "This should be, this should be in a book or on the cover of something, someplace." Or mm-hmm. I just you know. think of stuff and write it. But it's always very heartfelt. Like you can, the people who are reading it, that it reaches into them, and that everybody can't do that. You know, some people can. They write, and that's and good. And I think it's like music, you know. Some are major, major hits, and some are, mm-hmm. they are right. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't go gold or platinum or... Well, some things, like when you hear it, it's really catchy. Like, you know, I'm, I've got to come back to Work is the New Hustle. Work is the New Hustle is such a catchy song. And the concept behind it, like the way that you put this together... Work is the new hustle for my audience who may not know what it is. It's it is a program that Laura put together for kids and for uh, that connects the children with 
uh, law enforcement. Uh, Laura, will you tell our audience like what your what your concept was on it? Just that you explained mm-hmm. it. That's yeah, it, right? It's just that. It's more simple. You know, it's, and, it's more so for the kids mm-hmm. to, you know, develop a strong work ethic, to enjoy work, mm-hmm. uh, to be motivated to work, uh, to understand that they have to work in order to to eat mm-hmm. and make a living uh, and prosper. You can, you know, you can write your own ticket if you're willing to work for it. Mm-hmm. Write it. And she made it super fun, and they got to work with uh, financials. They learned how to how to do a little budget and how to shop within that budget. And they uh, provided uh, Laura got a bunch of sponsors, H E B being one of them, uh, and they provided H E B provided gift cards, and uh, Laura had what which group. Taught the financials. Mm, Comerica Bank. Comerica Bank taught mm-hmm. the financials and uh, just really brought it together so that the kids were getting practical training. They felt, if you listen to the song that they made with with uh, a real producer, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh I mean, from beginning to end, the the children had a good time, but they also learned valuable skills. Mm-hmm. And to listen to them on that song, like you can hear that they're uh, engaged. They're all about what about the program and some of the stuff you told me. Like as they uh, got into it. You saw a transformation in the kids. Mm-hmm. Well, they understood what what work was and responsibility. We're working on the music video now. They've been practicing, and that's that part of it is harder than the 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 doing the lyrics and the mm-hmm. song part. And so they were saying, "This is hard, Miss Laura." I said, "Yes, you got to work. Sometimes you got to work harder mm-hmm. in order to get it done. But if you if you want to do your music video." You know, you're gonna have to learn the the choreography part of it too. So, you know, it instill it just it motivates them to to work to reach their goals. I I I, I don't think that kids or people are really motivated to really just reach their goals. They're just kind of given a job to do and a task, and that's it. You just do this. You stamp rubber stamp this every day. That's all you do every day. You don't do nothing else, but there's more in people than just just uh, like routine stuff. Although you do have to have a routine and you know, mm-hmm. certain habits and discipline in order to do things, but you can use those habits and discipline to do great things mm-hmm. and not just you know low level stuff that you you know you dread, you dread going to work. People should not have to dread to go to work. Because you spend you spend so much time at work, you should be people should do the things that they enjoy doing, and mm-hmm. matched up kind of with their skills and their 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 passion needs to be matched up, and then they can be happy at work, and you know you can make a lot of money like that. <laughs> Especially when you when you enjoy what you're doing, you're you're right about that. Like if you love what you do, then then the the uh, financial gain will come, you know, but you have to have, have a love and a passion for what you're doing. And I can definitely see that in the, yeah, in uh, what, yeah. in you and what you do. Well, it's a lot of hard work, but it, I like it. Uh, sometimes I don't like to do it, but <laughs> <laughs> like I just want to see the end result. It's like, I want to have this vision and then it's done. <laughs> like bewitch. Oh, I wish that I, that, I wish that that mm-hmm. were the case with everything. If we mm-hmm. could just snap our fingers and it's, and it was completed mm-hmm. to our our just liking, do like this, <laughs> like Tabitha. Laura, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been wonderful talking with you as always uh, here on nine thirty a.m. The Answer uh, on where that our host for 
on the record with Tiffany. And we can be seen on TAN TV, the African American Network, where we have a local feel with a, a global, global reach. And remember that that tagline is ours, a local feel with a global reach. When you hear that, you know that it is the African American Network Television. All right. Thank you, Laura. And do you have any parting words for our our audience? Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the opportunity. Every time I come on, I've had a great, great time and I hanging you, out Laura. with with Tiffany on the record. <laughs> 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 All right. Have a great day. And remember, we're more alike than we are different. Uh, listen to other perspectives. That's the only way you know that that uh, what you believe is the right thing for you. All right. Have a great day. You've been enjoying On the Record with Tiffany. We encourage you to share these stories with friends and family. You can listen to other shows by going to 930amtheanswer.com. And join us next week for On the Record with Tiffany on 930amtheanswer. I'm Tiffany Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Texas Kidney Foundation. And I'm here to talk to you about your kidney health. Health is the most important asset we possess. COVID-19 has exposed the unhealthy nature of our population. One in three Americans are at risk for chronic kidney disease. In absolute numbers, that translates into about 600,000 San Antonians. Have you been diagnosed with diabetes? Have you been diagnosed with hypertension? Do you take blood pressure medicine? Do you have heart disease? Have you experienced heart failure? Do you have a history of dialysis or kidney failure in your family? If you said yes to two or more of those questions, you need to come and see us. Are you a part of that one in three? Is your sister, is your brother, is your mother? Texas Kidney Foundation offers free screenings. All you have to do is go to our website, www.txkidney.com. Org. Check out our free screenings. You can either come to our office for an in-office visit or we can come to you. You can schedule a screening or go to a screening near you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.